Hello and welcome to Repertory Screenings, episode 15. I'm your host, M. With me are my regular co-host, Jackson. 15 years of movies. And Destiny. Yo. Uh, <laughs> the, the two genders. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're here today to talk about some goddamn movies in what is probably our final episode of the year. Uh, it's, been yeah. a, it's been a time. Um, I know Ooh. we took three weeks off because uh, me and Destiny are both very sick. Uh, you might hear us coughing. Um, still not entirely over it. Uh, and instead of doubling up because it's the end of the year and we're busy with all the other podcasts we do, we're going to take another three week break. So apologies in advance for that. Um, but hopefully yes. next year will be a little more on the ball in terms of, you know, it's okay, but I'd like to get these out every two weeks. I think that's a reasonable goal. I'm always really happy when I get to watch a movie. We pick basically incredible movies across the board. <laughs> yeah, uh, we haven't had much. Of, we, there's only one debatable stinker so far. So, talk is still good. You're eh, it's okay. You. It's you okay. Not minds. that good, but okay. <laughs> the bikes you joust. Know. They do joust, but you know. We you could. know what is good? What these these uh, Suzuki movies. Yeah. yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's uh, true. Has anybody watched anything else they want to talk about? I mean, this is the end of the year. If you got a movie, I'm trying. I'm going to try to watch more movies, and so hopefully, I'll have stuff to talk about. Jackson, yeah, you watched I any can... movies? Um, I have watched a lot of movies. Uh, any that I've aren't watched... anime? Yeah, I've watched three. I guess. What'd you watch? Uh, I watched uh, Knives Out. Oh yeah, how was that? Um. So, I think it's, like, fun to watch. Um, I recognize that when I say it's kind of bad uh, and repugnant, I am talking because of, like, the political implications of the movie. If you just want to see a ridiculous movie where Daniel Craig does Falcon Leghorn voice, you'll have a good time. Please know that when I <laughs> before I tell you about how bad the movie is. Um, but that side of it is fun, but then uh, Twitter has broken Ryan Johnson's mind and it is trying very hard to be good politics in a way that is insufferable and also trips up and is bad politics. Oh, that's kind of disappointing. Um, yeah, I did a letter on it if uh, you want to know in like more depth because I don't really yeah. want to talk about specifics. But uh, he, do he does do the Falcon Leghorn voice very well and the second act is really good. So, like, you know, it's not a bad time. Uh, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, if you want to get our letters, uh, me and Jackson write about a bunch of things, including movies sometimes. And you can go to patreon.com slash mapping For $5, you get the letters. I've been uh, writing about Godzilla a bit. You wrote that letter. There's, you know, there's movie letters. Movie letters are good because uh, yes. they let us flex our critical muscle easily without playing 50 hours of a video game. <laughs> yep, they sure do. You just watch a movie, you write the letter, it takes about four hours all told. You know, I wish it took about four hours. I was told I feel like I'm rusty. It takes me a little longer than that. Um, I mean, it takes me. A I was trying it to. Takes, it takes how. me. It takes me ninety minutes to watch the movie. It takes me yep. about seven weeks to get my thoughts in order, and then it takes <laughs> yes. about ninety minutes to write the letter. <laughs> yep, that's exactly how it is. Um, but I also watched. Uh, I watched. I watched the Breaking Bad movie. That's bad. Uh, ignoring that. That's all I'm mentioning. That. But I watched a movie called Take Point. I've never heard of this. Which is. Um, I watched this completely on a whim. Uh, it is a Korean movie that's just a Metal Gear movie. Um, it's pretty good. Uh, like, how much of just a Metal Gear movie are we talking about here? Uh, like, within the first 20 minutes of the movie, the main character goes, this isn't a military op, this is a fucking election campaign. <laughs> okay. 
So more, more, more on the nose than Metal Gear. Yes, like even more on the nose than the Metal Gear. But it was good. It was a good time. I basically watched it because I don't know. I was just curious. Um, in the same way that I am about, I guess, Metal Gear itself. Like this was just a, a ridiculous U.S. military action movie, but like not made in America. So I was curious what it was like. Worldview would be. It was pretty good. Um, no, not amazing or anything. Um, but it did. It did make me sad about how uh, like Hollywood movies look in the 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 part where. Like, most of the movie is just set in one base that is, like, a few concrete corridors because they don't have any money, um, which is fine. But then there's one set piece at the end that's, like, it's, it's set, I don't want to, like, give story specifics, but there's, there are multiple bits throughout the movie that they're building up to about, like, skydiving set pieces and they've clearly just got people on static ropes without even wind machines just going, whoa, as CGI just falls around them. It's amazing. They need to turn down the budget of every Marvel movie by a thousand percent. That's true. Uh, but yeah, I had a good time. Um, oh, even though it's Korean, it is mostly in English. Like, there's the bits where the North Korean character and the South Korean character, who are the two main characters, when they interact, they start talking Korean. But for the most part, it's like a multinational crew of, um, like, people, like, illegal immigrants who aren't allowed to come into America doing, uh, CIA black ops stuff, talking in very bad phonetic English. Um, it's, it's what you want. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, Destiny, have you watched any movies? I watched two last night. Hell yeah. I'm going to start with the bad movie I watched. And it was still kind of fun, because it was that bad. I watched the 2017 cult classic, Wished Upon. Um, I have a friend who is very online, and is a big fan of whatever the fuck Red Letter Media is. I don't know what that this is. is. This is not. This is not very online. Red yeah, Letter Media actually, is like, the, yeah. the the very normie. The, as as your friends oh. who are extremely online, let me tell you, okay. Red Letter Media. Thank is Thank you, because I don't know. Well, they showed me a funny video that was them like making fun of people being nostalgic about Star Wars, and it was really funny. And then they were like, "Hey, they love this movie called Wished Upon. These got these funny guys that I like." Uh, and it's the worst movie I've ever seen. And I'm like, well, we have to watch it. So it's this cheesy horror movie with Jamie King's kid, Joey King, who's like, she looks exactly like a baby Alexis Bledel. But anyway, Ryan Philippi is her dad. And like, she has a sad life because her mom's dead. And she, uh, her dad is a hoarder. And she finds this box, this ancient Chinese box that grants wishes and she gets whatever she wants. She makes herself really popular and rich and she makes her dad cooler. And, uh, at some point she even brings her mother back from the dead, of course, but the, the box has a secret. Guess what the secret is. It's evil. Um, it's evil. Every time she makes a wish, somebody dies in a very like elaborate final destination way. Oh, like, like the Fenn. movie, like the movie, the box. Like the movie The Box, or The Monkey's Paw, or Final Destination. Like, it's just one of those, but it's really, really bad. Um, It's got a beautiful golden retriever in it. But anyway, so that movie sucked, Wish Upon. And then I watched one of the best movies of 2018, David Gordon Green's Halloween remake. Or, excuse me, his sequel. It's a sequel. It's a sequel. It's a sequel. And I really, really liked it. So, um... 
I, I want to watch this, but I need to watch Halloween's three through whatever before I do that. <laughs> no, you don't. You I know, only like need... I know you don't in terms of like the structure of what the movie is, but yeah, I need it has to, nothing to do with the rest. Of I those need movies. to because I need the context of what Halloween became to see what they thought taking it back to basics was. Yeah, it's um, uh very very well done, and that stuff didn't really matter to me. But what mattered to me was that it was just. The stuff they do with Laurie Strode and how she processes that trauma is the best. Um, shout out to my friend at moviereviewcrew.com for, uh, introducing me to that. Cause I didn't, I missed it. I just slept on it and I regret sleeping on it cause it was fucking fantastic. Well, they're making another one next year. So yeah, they're making a whole trilogy and I'm okay with that. Ah. Uh. I'll try to catch up by then so we can go see it. And uh, Yeah, it's pretty fucking great. It's just a beautifully shot, well-written bit of movie. There's a lot of weird stuff about mothers and daughters and true crime podcasting gets a little shade thrown at it. And it, it, it's very pleasant. I really... Oh, and also the teens are written in a way that's very realistic and sympathetic. I've never really watched a modern movie that sort of encapsulated what the teens are like and i i really appreciated that um i watched i I caught up on the marvel movies mostly uh we talked about this on voip life which you can listen to i don't want to get into it again um i will say infinity war is one of the worst movies i've ever seen and endgame was surprisingly watchable didn't hate it the first half of Captain Marvel's okay when it's just men in black but then the second half is the end of every men in black movie where it's bad so that's unfortunate. Um, and then it, you know, sprinkled with the Marvel sauce, which makes everything taste terrible. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, the movie I want to talk about is I watched The Enigma of Casper Hauser, which yes. is a 1974 Werner Herzog film. Um, the German title, uh, which they didn't use in English because Herzog was like, no one could get it right. So I just changed the name. Uh, is Every Man for Himself and God Against All, which... Uh, <laughs> Is the most Werner Herzog title possible? <laughs> yeah, um, that's amazing. <laughs> what does he mean by no one can get it right? Like the English <laughs> translation doesn't carry the like weight of the. German Apparently, ev- everyone works. just kept m- messing up the title, like not remembering it, so he changed it. Oh, okay. So like literally, just- yes. Okay, yes. Yes. Anyway, uh, I don't want to get too in the woods about it because I implored Jackson to watch this immediately. I, I will be watching it immediately. I mean, yes. not, maybe not tonight, but yes, that is like yes. very high on uh, the list. So this is the story. This is a uh, semi-biographical uh, picture about Casper uh, Hauser, who is a foundling. He was this guy who just showed up in Germany in the 18 or 1828 um, who had been living in a prison cell his entire life and had never interacted with anyone. And someone pulled him out of that cell and just dropped him in a village and they have to deal with who he is because no one knows and what they should do with this person who's never seen society before. Um, And so it's about them trying to figure out how to integrate him and him learning about people. Um, and it's good. And, uh, Werner Herzog movies are fantastic. I had this box set that I watched like three movies out of, uh, when I got it ages ago, Dustin got it for me and then didn't watch the rest of them. And I'm, I'm going to go through it. I'm going to watch it. I watched this movie, thought it was fantastic. Watched it immediately again with the commentary on the Blu-ray, which is very good. Cause it's just Werner Herzog, uh, talking about no one knows how to write a good movie. You just have to do it. No one can teach you. Um, <laughs> The, he, uh, he takes shots at the elephant man, but is very polite about doing so. Um, Why? 
Uh, I can't talk about that without spoiling the story. Oh, okay, that is fascinating. <laughs> they are they are similar in like general tone and theme and stuff, but okay, because um, as somebody who uh, friggin' loves the Elephant Man, the David, I Lynch, also Lynch really like the Elephant Man. Werner Herzog yeah. is not going to like the Elephant Man. That is a man that is uh, fundamentally opposed to everything the Elephant Man stands for. I s- respect that. Um. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, you know, this is good. Um, definitely recommend it. I'll probably have more to talk about with Herzog going forward. Cause might as well work through that box set. Movies are good. That's the thing. I forget. Movies are fucking fantastic. <laughs> That's uh, yeah, what sure happened are. when I finished Halloween. I just started clapping and yelling. Movies are good. Movies are good. <laughs> Movies are good. Like, um, they're great. Oh, he also, there's also this really funny bit, which was only relevant because we'll bring it up in a different context when we talk about our movie clubs, where uh, he was like, yeah, this is, I should have shot this with like low light where I was just filming natural light and made it look like it was in the period it was shot in. But uh, I, I don't have like Kubrick money. He doesn't say Kubrick outright, but Barry Lyndon comes out a year after this and is famous for building cameras to shoot in natural light. And he's like, I didn't have money. I had to make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's nice when you can spend six years building fucking cameras for your movie. Some of yes. them work. <laughs> yeah, Herzog puts out like one of these every year, and so. Yep. Uh, anyway, that's it for movies. Uh, we're gonna get right into our movie clubs. We had a double feature because Jackson was like, "I want to watch some Yakuza movies," and I was like, "I know a quick and easy way to put some Yakuza movies in your brain." Yo. <laughs> Uh, so we, yeah, so we watched Seijin Suzuki's uh, two most famous films, Tokyo Drifter and Branded Kill. We're going to go in that order because that's the order they came out in. Uh, Jackson, do you want to talk to me a bit about what Tokyo Drifter is? Um, yeah, so Tokyo Drifter is uh, a 1966 movie uh, about a man named Tetsu the Phoenix, who is like... Do you uh, want to tell me who wrote it and who directed it and, you know, the things? Yeah, I guess I could do that. <laughs> um. Well, uh, Seiji Suzuki directed it, obviously, uh, yes. and it was written by uh, Yasunori uh, Kawakuchi. Uh, nope, there's an extra Kawa- K in there. Kawa- Kawakuchi. No, yes. Kawakuchi. Yeah. Yep. Yes, yes. Yeah. I-, I read that C as before the U, like, yeah. like an idiot. Uh, but, um, yeah, came out in uh, 1966, uh, was like the B-movie to another movie that is not credited on Wikipedia. <laughs> yes. Um and it is about uh, a man named Tetsu the Phoenix, who is like the uh, I don't know a good term for it, but like the the main the main dude in uh, a Yakuza organization that has just gone legit. Like he is the guy, he is the fucking Kazuma Kiryu of that organization. Yes, uh, except get... he is he looks like he's seventeen. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's young. <laughs> yes, he looks like a baby, but that is like his role, and his yes. his organization has just gone legit. Um, the uh, uh karada who is his his boss uh is like loves him like a son it's all that stuff uh and in trying to go legit a rival gang is like trying to like fuck over their plan to do that and get one of their buildings for cheap by you know doing yaksa shit and uh kidnapping people um and tricking them and then some murder occurs that it all goes wrong and he is forced to leave the city and become the tokyo drifter uh. <laughs> I love the entire movie where he's like saying like they'll call me this the phoenix that does this and it's like no they're gonna call you the Tokyo Drifter man. Uh, yeah. While uh, while he is drifting, he meets uh, another character uh, called Kenji, uh, who is like 
an older version of him in that he was also a cool yakuza guy uh but he like betrayed or betrayed he like doesn't have loyalty to his bosses he will like work for whoever looking out for himself and like one day you got to realize that's what's going to happen to you man uh and he's like no i am loyal i'll remain loyal to the end um but uh Karada, his boss who loves him like a son uh when it turns out the actual the only way to really get out of the situation is to just put a hidden hit and then uh and then there's like a, a truce between these two sides and the uh, information about the murders in the middle of the movie will never get out uh totally just orders the hits uh and so uh tetsu must return home discover that this is exactly what has happened and then uh take his revenge and walk out into the night as the tokyo drifter and that is the whole movie Yes. So I've seen this movie, like, this is probably like my sixth, seventh time watching this movie. So I already love this movie. Love this movie forever. How did you find Tokyo Drifter, Jackson? I thought it was fucking amazing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought it was fantastic. It was, um, yeah, I don't know what like, a good critical kind of way to approach it is because I, like, I'm not, like, super familiar with the specific genre, but enough, like, you know, and I mean to say that, like, uh, watching anime is the same, but I'm familiar enough with Japanese storytelling and a lot of the tropes here, right? Because, you know, I've played Yakuza games and everything. I've seen these tropes already uh, spun out. It's just nice to see one of these going back to the source, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing about this movie and both these movies is Suzuki's made, like, uh, right. Brent to Kill is his 40th movie. He's made a lot yes. of these. So he's also <laughs> just kind of like allowing the structure of the film to be a framework on which he drapes the things he's actually yes. in, which is visually interesting stuff. Yeah. Like the movie knows, you know exactly what the plot will be at all turns. Like it's not trying to uh, present this as like revolutionary plot wise. It's just, okay, we're making one of these movies. Uh, it's going to look incredible. Yes. It's fabulous. Uh, Destin, you've seen this movie before, right? A million times. Uh, you also like it, I assume. I love it. I think that every time I watch it, it's the same way I feel anytime I watch any Japanese movie from this era, where I just go, wow, Quentin Tarantino didn't invent anything, did he? No, no. nothing. He, really, he didn't invent shit. Yeah, um, the colors in this movie are just impeccably lush and beautiful and uh i love that his like everything just feels a little bit off nothing really feels real like there's this scene near the end where he's in i can't remember the town it's in southern japan yes and there's a saloon like a western themed saloon and uh there's a lot of sailors it's a very like international clientele so there's just <clears throat> Americans and Japanese people and black Americans all hanging out and the performer's a white lady who speaks Japanese and like this cartoonish fight breaks out and oh that movie this movie oh it's it's I, I love how cinematic it feels like it just knows it's a movie it makes me so happy god that that fight in the in the western bar or the western saloon I guess is so funny <laughs> yes it is unhinged um like it just goes off the deep end with how ridiculous it gets <laughs> the uh the blu-rays uh that criterion put out that i have have some interviews with suzuki and some of the people who worked on the movies and this one uh 
over the footage of this saloon, uh, he says, audiences don't care about production design. They just want to be entertained. You don't have to make a meticulous film as long as what's happening on the screen is interesting, which sure. is true because this is a, a ramshackle space that collapses like a Looney Tunes set. As <laughs> in, like entire floors collapse and columns topple and uh, no building would ever collapse this way. Yes, it just turns yeah. into a pile of bodies rolling out the door. Um, but it's endlessly entertaining. But it like looks like you know because uh, it is a fake set collapsing yeah uh, ends up looking like a bouncy castle type scene right yes. like it's just just complete looney tunes uh it's very funny yeah and a lot of the design is like what is interesting here there's this really great scene where uh tetsu's approaching the guy that he's in a gunfight with and they are on the same plane where they would be able to see each other but they're not looking at each other so they cannot see each other um and behind them is like a white and red uh like window that's like just like two color stripes across the horizontal screen and then they like approach like dancers and tetsu wheels and shoots him and then the windows go all white the minute he shoots him and it's just oh. so good fantastic showing yeah, off really, really. yeah um there's also a really great sequence at the beginning that is black and white um as the movie starts it's like they used damaged uh, film stock they just had lying around to see if it'd be interesting. So it's all extremely high contrast, blowing out black and white, where everything white is like luminescent and everything dark is just pitch black. It's just there's no information there. It's really good. I love that they used a uh, damaged film stock. That's really interesting. Yep. <clears throat> Yeah, and the thing he's like, uh, my my uh, director of photography just came to me and said we had this. I was like, why not? We'll use it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is his general approach seems to be, I'm just going to shoot what looks interesting at the time. Uh, none of this is storyboarded. Uh, he doesn't believe in storyboards, which is very funny given how any other director would spend years meticulously planning all of this stuff to make it look like this. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it is showing off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It looks like he uses storyboards. Like, yes. oh, that's so good. Oh. Yeah. But uh can't overstate enough how striking the color choices in this movie are. Everyone else using color is a coward, especially in an era of digital grading. Movies could just look like this uh, yeah, all the time. There's no reason. Yeah. They did this all physically. They didn't even have to. You could just color grade a mo any movie to look like this, and they don't. No, they do. in fact they color grade it to look worse. Yes, yeah, they just desaturate so everything. It's awful. It's the worst. It's the worst thing that's happened to cinema. Uh, it's a real shame, especially as like the movie's not like it doesn't look like this all the time because it also has like actual places and like goes outside in Tokyo, obviously. Yeah, um, there's a lot of it's shot in like stark snowy areas that's just incredible. Yeah. Like it just runs through all these different aesthetics and like so you get these really good moments where he's like outside on a normal street and then walks into the the bar where his girlfriend sings uh and it just looks like another world yeah it's just a stark single color area that's like it starts yellow and by the end of the movie it's white but it's just a, a giant room it's just like one wall and some statuary in the middle yeah yeah and it has like a triangle hallway that yes. leads in that frames him as he enters and leaves yeah uh, just beautiful stuff um but also one of the funniest jokes in the movie because the movie is very funny like it knows but like by being a genre movie made by someone who makes 40 of these obviously uh and knows that you have seen loads of these it can just have fun with everything um which means that i think one of my favorite bits in the whole movie like obviously there's the western fight but there's also the 
the uh the the dance club the jazz club i guess it is where the bad yakuza headquarters is Mm-hmm. And every time they go in there, it's like the same three, like three second loop of a song with the shots of people dancing in the exact same way permanently forever. <laughs> yeah. whenever, they, whenever they shut a door, it's like instant silence. <laughs> yes, yeah. maybe like laugh every time. The best part is later in that scene, he's like put on a record, and it's the same song, <laughs> yes. and the the volume is like really low like it's that like you can't tell if it's live or if it's a recording either time <laughs> like or oh. like they're implying it's supposed to be live it's really confusing it's very funny and it's um, so funny in the special features it opens with uh suzuki going well they gave me the script and they gave me this song that i had to use but they didn't tell me how many times i needed to use the song in the movie so i just tried to use it as much as possible <laughs> since they were trying to feature the song <laughs> yep yeah, one of the big things about this movie is the music, and every time they would present this on TCM, the presenter would always open with saying, hey, you're gonna hear that Tokyo Drifter theme song a lot, you're just gonna hear it a lot, that's just the kind of movie this is, <laughs> but it's a great song, all the music in this is really fun. Yeah, all five minutes of it. Yep, and the sad song, she, it's the only song she knows. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> makes me happy this movie makes me really happy um, i like the um yaksa movies and like not even yaksa movies but like stories about these these kind of structures right are eternally about how things are not what they used to be when people had honor <laughs> <laughs> like people be saying that in three kingdoms which we're reading and that was yes. written th- hundreds of years ago yes. honor is really important <laughs> well, but it's all, it was always it was always better before in some nebulous time no one ever lived in. <laughs> yeah, always better like in the youth of all the characters. Don't ask about what happened then. Thirty Helens agree things yeah. were better before. <laughs> they sure do. Uh, another thing I think that's really interesting in this movie, and it's it's in both these movies, is like really ubiquitous like called out product placement. Uh, that is just like there as like. Because they're doing product placement, because they wouldn't give him any money, but also uh, because like this is just part of these characters' lives. Like there are two uh, two like name brand hair dryers that are uh, like shown by name yes. as <laughs> characters compliment how cool they are using said hair dryers in this movie. <laughs> Charm so lady. Funny. Yeah, one of them's Charm Lady, and then there, there's one that the guy uses uh, in the saloon that he points out. He's like, I can't believe you use this. And he's like, well, you don't think I'm that old that I wouldn't know what a cool hairdryer is, do you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. After watching this, I immediately was like, I need to go find uh, this guy's other movies. Because he's made a million of them. Yeah, yeah. I've seen, I've seen uh, Fighter's Elegy, is that what it's called? Yes, that's the one he fighting made between, allergy? Yeah. Fighting allergy between these two. Yeah, um, which I remember being more like standard. I didn't hate it, but it's not these two movies. Um yeah. and then he did a loop in the third film uh yes. called uh Legend, Legend of the, the Gold, Gold of Babylon. Babylon. Yes, which is really cool and good. Uh if you seek that out, um <laughs> there is some uh racist depictions in that film. Um, but uh the movie's pretty good. 
um, as Lupin movies go. All two of them I've seen. But it's a, <laughs> if you've like seen Castle of Cagliostro, it's a very different flavor. It's like one of the sleazier Lupins that exists. So that does not surprise me. Yes. Um, one of my other favorites is uh, Youth of the Beast, which is another one with Joe Shishido um, that I highly, highly recommend. It's a little more like sad and dramatic than mm. uh, the, these two films, but it's from 1963 and I highly recommend it. Yeah. Um, one of the things I like about this movie is, like, because you have, like, a 25-year-old young kid as your, like, downtrodden, I've gone straight after years of being in the Yakuza guy, um, every <laughs> other character just kind of, like, treats him like a little kid who's foolishly going through the hero motions. Like, the the postmodern take of, like, every, every Yakuza eventually gets to the point where they go legit and then they can't get out and now they're just, like, going through life shooting people who try to stop them. Um is funny because like this movie is littered with characters who should be the heroes of other movies that are just like this as they drift in um like kenji specifically but there's more than that uh like even uh like viper tatsuzo who's like the main villain guy chasing him is one of those guys um just he hasn't gotten to the point where he's burnt out yet he's like up and coming uh like he's the hero of the next movie we'll talk about um, <laughs> and like just this like like expansion of time of these the these characters' lives because they all go through the same thing because all these movies are the same is like really good as a framework for this movie because mm-hmm. there's a really great scene at the like towards the end where uh, Kenji and the guy who runs the saloon after the big fight and after Tatsu's like I have to go back to Tokyo and get everything done uh, they just walk out on like the red light district as the sun's rising and everything's abandoned and all the lights are off and it's just this like hellscape of neon signs that aren't lit anymore and it looks incredible yeah that's yeah, one of my good. favorite scenes in the movie because like that's uh he's talking to um i forget his exact name because it's not on the wikipedia page mm-hmm. uh, the the boss of the um uh the saloon like starts out like fulfilling the order to assassinate uh, umitami uh, umitami yes yes uh, umitami starts out uh trying to assassinate um tattoo because you know that's the the the, the law has come down you gotta do it and then it kind of stops trying at the yes. end lets him go and him and kenji just walk out into the sunset and it's an amazing shot thing this is how these movies go isn't it and they go yeah yeah it is he'll learn soon <laughs> enough <laughs> Um, one of the things I really like is when he, when Tetsu's in the North, uh, he gets roped into like a warring, warring factions of Yakuza battle, but it's in the North in like a city that's in like the boondock. So he's just in like the shittiest little village and stuck briefly for like 15 minutes in like the worst version of Yojimbo that's possible. (laughs) Yes. You think it's going to be Yojimbo and it's just not. (laughs) When, when all of the like, local guys go to have their yakuza war they don't have guns they're not fancy real criminals so they're just guys running around in with samurai swords and uh like machetes and knives because that's all they have so there is a bit where you know the yakuza guys are in the middle of just this swarm of people who might as well be out of a samurai movie uh and it's very good yeah and they're they're like their reactions to the gunshots is excellent yes Um, i think Mm -hmm. that uh Suzuki suit like these are some of the best like gunfights I've seen in terms of how they're shot. They're very different to how I usually think of gunfights. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, um, like this the sense of space is always like very good. You know exactly who's aiming at who, but that like there's so much emphasis on um 
the way that guns are both like instant death and these awful things, but also just completely like they're, they're not going to hit you all the time. It's yeah. just chaos every time anyone they, goes off. People just uh, hit the floor. They're very, they're very like <laughs> classical Western inspired. Yes, yes, because uh, like every gunfire, like gunshots are like not that actually that impactful like it's not like the modern like every gun sounds like a freight train crashing into someone yes. it's just like this is a, this is a little thing we hold and it makes a noise and then people fall over and they're dead and that's its own kind of like obscene violence but it's sold through its understatement which is very good in a movie that is otherwise absolutely not understated in any way um but the the way like all the, and this is true of brand to kill as well there's like so many fights that are all about like okay guns here i and I need to stay in cover. Yes. Uh, yeah. Like he has so clearly got to a T from directing all these movies exactly how to like direct and visually communicate tension through staying in cover from gunfights, yes. which should be boring because usually that's kind of like that's the boring part of the action movies these days is like the gunfights in John Wick are not as cool as the parts where he fights guys. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, so much of these are like. I know that I'm not going to hit shit unless I'm 10 yards or 10 meters away. So I have to get yes. that close. So it's always him like diving down or throwing like towards the end. There's one where he throws his gun at the guy and then rushes forward and catches the gun and shoots him. Um, just a lot of like very graceless combat rolls and action dives that are not like they're not John Woo, right? Like there's nothing cool yes. about when he dives uh, to shoot a guy. He just does it and then shoots the guy and he falls over. Um and that gracelessness is like really good as a thing here. Mm-hmm. Oh god, that final thing where he like slides the gun into the middle of the room and everyone's yes. confused, and then he just picks up and kills all three of them at once. Yes. <laughs> oh, now that is cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, if there's nothing else, we should probably move to our second movie. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say other than movie good. Okay. Yeah, I think I got some more, like a couple more comments. We'll wait to the emails. Yeah, we can always we can always go back or circle the cycle back around. Also, yes. Okay, so our second movie, Branded to Kill. Uh, this movie came out in 1967. Again, directed by Seijun Suzuki, written by Hachiro Guryu, who is not a real person. That is an array of writers and Suzuki, because the studio gave him a script and he's like, "I'm not using this," and just kind of worked <laughs> with them to write another one. Um, this movie, because the uh, Nikatsu were so mad that he kept making movies that were, in their eyes, incoherent and uh, seemingly actually not popular, um, they kept slashing his budget. So this movie shot in black and white. Uh, he had less time than normal to shoot it. And as part of that is because they had to rewrite the script. Uh, and so th- that's what that's what happened. Um, he's working with uh, longtime collaborator Joe Shishido on this one. Um Mariko Gawa and Anumari, uh, who are both great as the two women in this movie. Um, so, Jackson, you want to say a little bit about what this movie's about, plot-wise? Oh, this one's much harder. <laughs> uh, uh, you can you just go short. You can just go short. Um, so, uh, Hanada is the number three uh, hitman in all of Japan? Or just the, the city? J- I don't yes, know. just in Japan. It's okay. So, so, all, so he's a number three ranked hitman in Japan. Uh, he does a routine job with a like, burned out hitman to uh, escort a um, you know, per- a very important person. Who could it be? Uh, <laughs> at the start of the movie, that happens. Uh, and then he is... Uh, <sighs> While he's on that mission, his boss sleeps with his wife. Yes, also. his boss sleeps with his wife. And then 
he goes back to his wife and has like weird like so he has to like uh sniff the the aroma of cooking rice to get horny and so he and his wife have a weird relationship uh where he is just a assassin who doesn't talk but will sniff rice and fuck all the time and she is also on one at all times and kind of walking around the house (laughs) naked um naked but covered in expensive furs that she uses with all the money he makes from murdering people yeah which while she's fucking his boss yes Uh, yeah, she's kind of my low-key, like, one of my favorite characters in this film. She's very funny. Her facial expressions are very clowny. Uh, yeah, it's very good. And anyway, so he's, he is now, his next job is to assassinate some people, uh, which you know, is a list of four, and he assassinates them uh, in very cool ways. Uh, but when assassinating the last one, uh, he, like, misses because it's, re- it's, like, a way too hard assassination that he should not have accepted, but he's, he's like, I want to be number one. Um and he misses because a butterfly lands on, on his rifle, and now uh, he has killed the wrong person. It kills a bystander, so now he will lose his rank and he will be killed. Yeah. Um, he decides... Well, so, first of all, uh, his his wife tries to kill him, just shoots him and runs away and burns the house down, uh, but <laughs> uh, does not get him, and the, the bullet bounces off uh his belt buckle and um he runs away uh to uh the woman he a woman he met earlier in the movie i haven't mentioned yet called misaka who is another hip uh like she is also a hitman no um, no is she not they no. never really say what she is she's just weird no could but she she is like threatening to kill him because of the thing in this like, she threat yeah but she she is I never explicitly know. one she, of the they- hitmen they okay. do imply that she could be. That does kind yes. of come yeah, up. Yeah, but it's, so it's you're not like wrong. she's not one of the ranked hitmen. Like, but she like turns around after that first like the assassination goes wrong and then shoots the guy. I always took she was like kind of part of this scene. Maybe, um, but also she hired him to kill that guy like for specific reasons that are never expounded upon. So, um, it is left ambiguous. Yeah. So anyway, so he but, he but she she her. is she is glamorous and wants to die. That is the thing that's important about Misako. Yeah, she's glamorous and wants to die and, like, is threatening to kill him with poison needles. Um, and he's, like, really attracted to her and is trying to uh, get with her, but she wouldn't let him. But then he's like, I, I promise to kill you so he can. But then she, then he's like, I'm too in love with you, I can't. And then keeps running away and coming back and running away and coming back. Um, <laughs> for, like, the half an hour of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the, like, plot kind of kicks in at the end. Uh, he's still alive, so they're, like, wrapping this up. Um Misako is kidnapped. Um, his boss is assassinated out of the blue. Uh, he kills his wife, and then number one arrives. Uh, the number one assassin, who is d- stop me if uh, this is surprising. Um, if the the VIP from the start of the movie that was number one. That was number one the whole time, uh, and is ready is here to assassinate uh, to assassinate uh, Hanada, but is like warning him ahead of time. And then begins the final act of the movie, which is incredible, as it's just uh, number one being like, "I could assassinate you at any time, and that's why I'm going to come live with you for a while." And we have to, we have to like always agree to have our guns on the table because if a moment of weakness, we know one will shoot the other one, but I'll win at the end of the day. Uh, <laughs> and Hanado is just losing his mind throughout the like. The time becomes irrelevant at this point. I don't know how long the number one stuff is going on for. <laughs> uh, anyway, um. Then number one leaves is like, actually, we will go to a gym and do this together later. <laughs> uh, so he goes to the gym. He's like, I'm going to beat him. 
Uh, number one thinks he's got him, shoots him in the head, uh, but he's like wearing a headband that deflects it, and then he kills number one. And he's like, I'm number one, I'm number one, as he, as he yells. But then uh, Misako comes in, um, and he just like instinctively shoots her, and then does it like there's not like a moment of realization that he's just like still shouting at number one and then falls over and then the movie ends yeah this one's uh much more non-linear um yes. and uh open to interpretation and a lot of the criticisms of the, or a lot of the I see criticisms in general neutral terms here, but a lot of the criticisms yes. around this movie are about it as like a surrealist, absurdist masterpiece. When in reality, and this is backed up by all of the interviews of Suzuki, uh, he just didn't have any money and just did the best he could with the bare framework he was able to shoot. Um, it was not some like beautiful plan to make a movie full of symbolism and abstraction. Uh, this is what he shot. He edited it together yeah. and put it out. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And I think I think that's like key to. These movies are good not because they're like above the genre. He's just earnestly trying to make an interesting movie out of a genre that he's worked in for forty movies now. Yeah, um, like my one of the things I was surprised about seeing the Brand's Kill was one, like his like real famous movie. I guess like I assumed it was Tokyo Drifter this whole time. Brand's um, Kill is definitely the one that broke out in like art circles for obvious yeah. reasons. And it broke out, bec- and like the framing of it is always like, oh, it's like a satire of all these bad Yakuza movies, and like, look at how ridiculous it is. He's like burning down this genre, which is how a lot of people approach. Like, that's a criticism applied to a lot of just works in genres that are interesting, um, in ways that is like almost always unfair, right? Like, we can yeah. list ten of them right now. It's always a shitty way to like. Why would someone who's worked in a genre and clearly has affection for it be destroying it with this like work? That's not what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that was surprised me seeing that like people thought it was like an anti Yakuza movie or an anti Hitman movie or whatever. Um, it's just it's just a very good one of those. It's very funny. Uh, like the there are a few things funnier than the scene where he assassinates the jeweler, uh, and he's like very cool the whole time. Uh, walks in, kills the two guys, shoots the guy, and then just like. Uh, like adjust his jacket but then there's a guy in the other room who's about to come back so he climbs out the window um and just climbs out the window and disappears uh the guy comes back into the room looks around is like oh my god everyone's dead oh and just like looking left and right and as he does this (laughs) slowly in the background uh hanada rises into frame in the window because he has escaped onto a balloon that is rising outside (laughs) i fucking died um but it's like stuff like that that's just just a good funny scene right like that's not yeah it's pretty good it's good uh yeah i this movie is like a really good showcase for Joe Shishido, who is just a weirdo in this movie and like yes. definitely like living it up. Like uh, Suzuki's a, a, a director who's like wants people to improvise and supposedly no one ever wanted to do that because it was not done in the era, except for Shishido, who is totally happy and game to do whatever. Uh, Hell yeah. Given the space to do it. Uh, Shishido is interesting because he was a like up and coming star who wanted or wanted to be a big star, but was kind of like stuck in the middle because everyone told him that uh, he was too thin to be a leading man and so he got plastic surgery to enlarge his cheeks he got like implants put in um because he's like i can't i can't exercise my face to make it bigger i have to i have to do something uh because they think my face is too narrow um and it gives him a very distinctive like unreal look like he's just been stung by bees in the face um (laughs) but it, it it's interesting because it becomes 
through like history, like a, a weirdly iconic look. One, it's a look he had for a long time. It, yes. It's like in the interviews and in the material here, he's definitely had them removed. Like you can see the scars where he's had them taken out in his uh, elder years. But mm-hmm. um, this is also exactly just the look that Chai and Fat has in the John Woo movies by yes. nature of just being a guy who is heavier gets to naturally look like this, which took him surgery to get. Um, but he's also like, the killer and hard boiled or whatever are just doing this character. Like that's just all this is like one to one. Um, and this movie in general has a lot of riffs. Like I showed Jackson a scene from Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai, which is a Jim Jarmusch movie that literally has the exact scene where he goes underneath the sink and opens up a pipe and shoots up into the sink, killing a guy. Just lifted wholesale, one to one. It's not as good in <laughs> Ghost Dog. No. Uh, Jim Jarmusch is not as good of a, like, formal director as Suzuki is. It's specifically the part where he adds, like, a little gag about the, like, the tracking light, so he's got a red light in his head. Yes, yes. Uh, And, like, you didn't need that. Maybe that was, like, added as to how would would people be confused as to what was going on here. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... No, in, in Rad to Kill, it's like handled with such dispassion, right? He just like there is the there is the thing where the guy uh, who looks he looks down into the sink and sees the light and goes, "What the fuck?" Before he shot in the head, which is funny. <laughs> also, public enemies playing over the entire thing because Ghost Dog's a cool fucking movie. Yeah, no, it's a very different vibe. <laughs> yes. Uh, um. Yeah. But yeah, uh, like this, the 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 reach of this movie cannot be understated. Quentin Tarantino again stealing everything that has ever mattered out of these two movies. Yes. Uh, th- there's there's a bit in the middle of this movie where he's like walking away uh, from uh, Misako's house and is like losing it at this point, uh, not really knowing what he's doing. And it's, they haven't had like the the coverage to get the like environmental shots about the rain and the birds and whatever so they just start putting rain and birds like on the screen yeah as like uh, animated effects as animated effects and the bit where he's like losing his mind hobbling going ah as all the bird like images come on screen i can't i can't believe that hasn't blown up on twitter yet as just being on their website (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's uh it's really good uh the amount that like stuff is visually interesting just because of the realities of the shoot uh cannot be denied giving people infinite resources does not produce better product Uh, no it produces much worse products yes Um, which is, uh, one of the things I really like about, uh, this movie in particular is how much they get out of it. Um, but yeah, uh, for me, I, Misako is definitely like the scene stealer in these movies. Uh, she's very intense and very understated. Uh, her room with all the butterflies is amazing. Uh, I can't imagine the nightmare that is a set dressing 10,000 butterflies on a room. Um. But uh, it, it it is like her as a character who is like a femme fatale taken to its dramatic extreme where her like, you know, suicidal ennui is just in like all pervasive is very good. Yes. Like he gets Stop in the, her car at the like start of the movie, walking away from one of the like the the first um, mission that he's on, uh, like hitchhiking back home because his um, car dies. And the first thing she says is like, I want to die. Yes. <laughs> it's very ridiculous. Yeah. But, and compared to like his wife, who is just like 
a like a very silly woman like she she plays it as a cartoon character but she is also like just a frivolous woman who doesn't care that much about that her husband's a killer like she doesn't care that there's all this murder around her she's willing to do it if she needs to she'll kill her husband she doesn't give a shit as long as uh she's got like a warm bed and a nice outfit waiting for her and it treats that like frivolity as like equal to you know hanada just wants rice and to fuck and, and murder some guys like it's not <laughs> like she is not treated as like lesser because her goal is to like you know uh have a nice fur and fuck and live her life like they're the same they're given equivocal weight in the movie yeah like it's very easy and i feel like you could be ungenerous and call that just like look at the, the sexism of this movie right um mm. i don't think it's like a movie that's you know i'm not here to say it's a progressive masterpiece or anything no but i do no. i do think it is uh at least like i think that her character is treated fairly well yes uh, f- considering her job is to be naked and uh a problem and then get murdered yep. <laughs> yeah uh, this is this actress's only movie uh she really? was like yes yeah, she was like uh, they wanted someone else i don't remember her name off the top of my head and uh they couldn't get her because she went to do uh Kuroneko, i think um which is a famous japanese horror movie of the era um and so they just had to get someone who the problem was getting someone who was willing to be so naked on camera was difficult all the time yeah <laughs> um like misaka has like a nude scene towards the end um but it's nothing <laughs> like yeah cuz uh, there's there's an entire like 10 minute sequence where uh Hanada and his wife are just like running around their giant apartment naked uh as he's like fueled with his rice lust uh <laughs> and she just calls him a pervert over and over again in like a very playful way as they just fuck all over the place uh yeah <laughs> so funny it's a good movie yeah the uh the rice thing's very funny because it allowed them to get a sponsorship from a rice making company to put the rice maker in the movie. Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. Like the producer went to him and says, like, I got a rice cooker deal, and he's like, Good, this is how we'll use it. We'll have him sniff the rice and get super horny. Uh because it it needs to be something quintessentially Japanese. I think there's a bit in the Wikipedia where he's like, a, a, a normal mafia assassin might think this way about uh spaghetti, but I wanted my character to feel this way about rice. And I was like, my dude, no hitman has ever <laughs> felt this way about spaghetti, but please make that movie. <laughs> please. Seriously, please though. Um, uh, yeah, God. Oh, here's the, the quote is, if he were Italian, he'd get turned on by macaroni, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? Sure, sure. Uh, but, uh, this is, oh, go ahead. Oh, this is just, all of this is my argument for why uh, you should let people make 40 movies rather than spend, rather than make one small movie and then have to make fucking a Marvel film. Yeah. You make one <laughs> small movie and then you're on the five years to build giant tentpole sci-fi movie that nobody likes. Because, like, the thing with this movie, right, is that it's interesting and there's loads of, like, experimental stuff going on, but it exists because, like you say, he's got this amount of time to make a movie and must make all these choices. And obviously, that's not always going to, like, this isn't, like, the norm, right? Like, most of these movies are just normal movies and they are what they are. Um, Yeah. But I, I just, I don't know, I feel like 
no one directs 40 movies and i'm not saying like we should bring back the studio system but i do think that there is something to be said about i mean this is what happens when every decision is not the most important one right now there'll be another movie in a month the studio system absolutely just exists now it's just disney puts people in these contracts where they make a movie every four years and they don't actually do a whole lot because it's the machine is there right yeah Yeah. it's 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 not it's not here yeah it's not here's 20 million yen you have 20 days bring back a fucking movie yeah um it is worth mentioning uh Sajin suzuki was fired for this movie because they were yeah. mad that he kept making these movies when they just wanted a normal film um that is so funny this was also tied into uh nikatsu at the time and all of japanese cinema was having it was struggling a lot as uh tv was getting big um you know this is post-war boom late 60s and so everyone's watching tv and the studio's uh goal like way to fix flagging sales of movies was to make more movies cheaper instead of just make less movies and spend less money um and so they this studio almost went under and like a lot of studios at the time turned to like pink films which are like you know this but there's way more nudity and sex in them um and uh they tied they tried to pin this on suzuki and like fire him as like a scapegoat um there's like a protest of nikatsu that happened several years later as uh his movie and i think some other movies were like not they weren't releasing them to be shown and people want to see them like there's literal footage of people protesting outside the studio and he sued them for access to the prints and stuff like that so um studios be doing this all the time i sure do release the snyder cut (laughs) (laughs) i had to i had to yeah but yeah, this movie definitely uh, is one that like was not super popular at the time. Uh, he was blacklisted for the stuff around the, the scapegoat Nikatsu. Um, and it was only after this movie got picked up in foreign circles in the 80s that it really like his career started to take back off. Yeah, like looking at the like the quick summaries of this, it's like the the thing the the little suits happened and he became kind of like a cult hero and got his movies back. But he was still like the you know the bosses were not letting him back in. They're still mad no. at him. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't like then he went back to shooting film again. Um. But everyone loves the film now, which is good because it's it's very good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um. Uh, I know that Quentin Tarantino is like the obvious pull, but I can't recommend uh, Ghost Dog and uh, Jim Jarmusch's other movie, The Limits of Control, enough. They are definitely lifting from this. Um, And Le Samurai, which is a uh, French film that's about an assassin. Um, Mm -hmm. But they're both really good. I think Ghost Dog is like a pretty good cult cult hit, but Limits of Control is basically... (laughs) Look, don't laugh at me. Uh, (laughs) Limits of Control is like a, a very underwatched movie because it is the... What if the strung out part of him just kind of sitting in his apartment being listless was the entire movie? Um, oh, hell yes. <laughs> and uh, it, it's it's incredible. Also, it's Bill Murray. So <laughs> there's that yeah, too. Sure. Um, but uh, as one of those, it's one of my favorites. It's, 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 not like a, it's not like fun in this way. It is a long, boring movie on purpose. And I think it works really well in that way. Um, mm-hmm. I do recommend it a lot. I have to read this bit of the Wikipedia page out, which is like a quote from a review at the time. Yeah. Uh, it says, The woman buys a mink coat and thinks only about having sex. The man wants to kill and feels nostalgic about the smell of boiling rice. We cannot help being confused. <laughs> 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 I don't know what's confusing about that. He's not nostalgic for the yeah. rice. 
<laughs> Imagine watching this thing, man. He's so nostalgic about that rice. <laughs> so funny. Uh, all right. If does anyone have anything else, or should we go to our questions? You put out a call for questions, and people showed up for Tokyo Drifter specifically, which I feel like in modern era is the one that like the yes. average person has seen and really loves. Um, very popular. So, any any final thoughts before we move to questions? Um, I really liked it. I do. Um, I really appreciated the ending of being like not because much like with Tokyo Drifter, right? It is a movie that is about the fact that you've seen one of these movies like loads of times already. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tokyo Drifter just does the ending very earnestly and well, and this one does as well, but it's like the most like, okay, the movie's over. You don't like care about the specifics of the Hitman rankings or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's cool like, when compl- someone says, no one knows who number one is because yes. I've also seen the prisoner and the prisoner fucking rolls. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Same year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Big, good time for people named after numbers. <laughs> or a bad time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, had a, had a great time with both these movies. We got some questions here. Um, yeah, if you have questions, you can send them to podcast at uh, we love questions about anything. It doesn't just have to be the movies we're covering. They can be about any movie. Uh, we'll talk about it. Um, so please send them in. Uh, first question is from Rick. Um, I love Tokyo Drifter. Uh, the almost nonchalant cool of the film, also being very silly and fun, is a mix that I've rarely found on better. I uh, was lucky enough to catch us on a big screen with a couple of Suzuki's films, which brings me to my question. A portion of the audience for Tokyo Drifter was clearly laughing at the film and not along with it. Um, it, it, put, it put a real damper on the movie. What has been your worst or most annoying cinema experiences? Um, the first one that came to mind was very strange. My second time seeing The Wedding Singer, uh, the 1998 Adam Sandler film, there was a couple making out and they were like rolling around on me and my friend's feet. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. That's, <laughs> that's the worst I think that's ever happened. <laughs> that's rude. Yes. Yeah. Um, I know the last for me was it was a terrible fucking movie. Uh, it was the 2012 Nazis in Space movie Iron Sky. Or whatever it's called, uh, which is a terrible movie that is like entirely sold on. What if the Nazis went to space? Wouldn't that be a funny sci-fi movie? No, it would be terrible. But there was a guy sitting like two seats away from us, um, uh, who was just like old American guy that was just like laughing, but really pointedly at everything, like ha ha ha, like everything every five seconds. And it, I, God, that is the longest time I've ever spent in the cinema. The movie was terrible. That guy was annoying. It was a nightmare. Um, I can't think of a specific one that I think is like, especially terrible. Um, there is, uh, we have like a theater downtown or that's like our art house, like our very fancy art house theater. And a lot of times the people who go there are like, rich folks who are donors who go there and get their tickets and drink some wine and have a rowdy time because they're middle-aged and this is what they do and i found for like repertory cinema there um especially when they're showing something that's not like the high art is almost universally some of the worst crowds they're just not not interested in actually watching the movie just going there because going there is the thing you do um and i find it generally very unpleasant and that was my experience with um 
going into London to see more, like, when I was, had the ability to go into London to see more films in uh, small cinemas, that's absolutely true. That's just true. Yeah. Always worse than just the normal crowds of poor people. Yeah. Uh, do you want to read the next question, Jackson? Uh, yes, I will. Uh, this uh, is from Sean. Um, Sean says, uh, it's been a while since I've seen the movie. I remember being disappointed there was no racing involved. Oh, <laughs> I remember a noble hitman working for a local crime boss whose loyalty gets in nothing because management of the crime business is the same as any other business. I remember the movie not being great with women. Uh, I remember some shots of guys running towards the camera trying to imply travel and time passing. <laughs> uh, I suppose my question for you is, what's a more problematic story, Stardust Memory or Tokyo Drifter? I'll hang up and listen. Thank you for an amazing podcast that got me back into Gundam. This is a tangential Gundam question, but I guess uh, if there's any episode that's going to bring the Gundam fans to this, um, to RS this, because, you know, weebs don't just like anime. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, Stardust Memory is way worse. I wouldn't describe these movies as like, especially no. bad with women Tokyo drifter like is just a typical one of these the the girlfriend is imperiled and there's this ridiculous scene where they they lie to her and tell her that tetsu's been killed and she faints dramatically on stage um by just like falling over like it's it's like it, it's like she was hit with a harry potter spell basically is how she <laughs> <Yeah. falls over. laughs> like it's one of these um i don't think it's especially bad about it i also think that the movie's like very specific about how ridiculous all of these men are being yes like it understand like when the sympathy is with her when at the end of the movie he's like a drifter does not need a woman i must walk alone <laughs> and she's like what are you talking about there's no reason As he for walks that. away like, it understands he is on his bullshit but also understands that this like type of character is cool it's not trying to subvert that yeah <laughs> do you want to read uh declan's email? yeah declan uh emailed him uh, saying, hey there, I'm going to do everyone a favour and skip the obvious Fast and Furious joke. No doubt it's already been made. Correct. You are correct on that front. <laughs> you did it. Uh, we all know that Tetsu having his own theme song, the clock show over the head uh, with the blunt end of the premise, is incredibly cool and badass. It got me thinking about other characters with such a privilege. It's something that's not often given out these days. They only really bother now uh, for this with James Bond and he's had the lion's share long enough. So, if you could choose any other character in fiction that doesn't already have an expository musical delight, who would you pick? Uh, the more gratuitous it feels within the work, the better. <laughs> Thanks for reading. Have a great day. Thank you very much, Declan. It's weird that John Wick doesn't have a song. Uh, I guess it is. I think it's weird. I think that would have made that movie over the edge ridiculous, but (laughs) it's a little weird that, that he doesn't have one. I think that Daniel Plainview should have a Ballad of Buster Scruggs style <laughs> musical number that he sings every time he saunters in to ruin someone's life. I abandoned my boy. <laughs> Did you have one, Jackson? Oh, God, I really don't know. Other than it's always cool. Like, <laughs> yeah, it is. Someone posts Charles fighting for our prayers every day. Also, um, as much as James Bond has musical cues, he doesn't have a song that he sings, which I think is a real missed opportunity. Yeah, the part where he <laughs> is singing the song himself. Yes. Because this is like a self-made brand for him. Yes. <laughs> uh, mwah, really pushes this over the edge. Yes. Um, uh, let, let, me, let me quickly just... <sighs> Uh, give me one second to think about this. I'm stalling the podcast as I try to think. 
I'm not uh, cutting it out. We're just gonna sit here and let you think. Yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna sit here, I guess. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I got nothing. That's um, okay. Tom Cruise and Collateral should sing a song. Yeah, <laughs> back himself the whole time. <laughs> Figure it out. It needs to be like a really embarrassing rap song. Also, I think that's key. <laughs> oh yes. yes, it's another really good Hitman movie. Nothing to do with the tone of the. Year, but it's <laughs> Absolutely very good. nothing. Not even like the two furthest points. Um, we have a couple of questions from Tron. Uh, thanks, Tron. As always, I'll pick out the ones I think are we didn't cover. Um, what's your favorite use of color in Tokyo Drifter? Single one. E- Either the purple dance room or just that white to yellow change at the end in the club room. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's in the club room at the end, but I think it's specifically the like ball they have hanging in the air. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's red and the, the, the lights of the wall they go through several changes, but the ball's red the whole time. And eventually, right at the end, it changes to white, and you realize, oh, that was also lit. That's not just a color hanging in the, you know, like, they also, that was a real good moment for me. Mm -hmm. I think mine is uh, the dramatic red mailbox in the middle of a snowfield. Yes. Uh, That he hides behind and is just very obvious and good in uh, the shots in which it is. Um, It's really nice. Uh, this this one is uh, interesting because I honestly had never thought about this. Have you ever talked to personally known or heard other people talk about a drifter? <laughs> <laughs> never, never, no. <laughs> never in my life. Yeah, I just think it's a hard thing to be in the modern day, right? Like we are all post-internet people for the most part, I guess. Like you know, you're a little older than me, but you're in there was around when you were kids. Yeah. Were there any drifters yeah. in the late 80s when you were four? <laughs> On television as like a romantic aspirational guy, I guess. I mean, it's like it's always a romantic aspirational thing, but I assume it was also slightly more possible before. Yeah. Um, and then we have some Brandon to Kill questions. Um, let's see. Um What are your thoughts on the depiction of the more kinky sexuality of this movie? This is definitely the most sex we've had in any of the movies we've watched for this podcast. I was always surprised by it because it's so brutal in like a uh, surprising way for Mm -hmm. a movie that I assume was released to a mainstream audience. Uh huh. Yeah, I um, it's it's interesting to me because so much of this is meant is like frantic and like goofy like there's nothing like sexy about the sex in this movie no um oh you with me <laughs> yeah it sounded like you yeah. had something to say yeah uh i um i took away like that from the the movie as well like i feel like the movie uh um brand to kill is like pretty gay uh in that he's spending all this time with these women and he's like falling in love with this other one, but all the sex with his wife is like just ludicrous. It's just comedy. It's not like sexy footage. Uh, but then by the end of the movie, he's like obsessed with this one guy who has tied himself to his bed and is inviting him to the gym to do a murder. Uh, like he can't break. <laughs> like it, I feel. I feel like I don't think it's like a coherent metaphor about this is like sex and death are the same thing. And look at this, you know, the homoeroticism of all these like hitman movies. Uh, but I do think it's definitely there. 
and the ludicrous unsexiness of like the extreme sex scenes early on in the movie uh, feeds into that, I would say. Yeah. Um, do you think that folks who are professional killers in the real world are cold and distant as depicted in so many crime films? Um, I assume they're all like the hitmen in Bruges, where they're very sensitive. The thing that I, the thing about the thing about this movie and a lot of these movies is that they're they're all cold and distant until like something goes wrong and then they immediately all fall to pieces. I assume that they'd be much more blasé about the whole thing, like the distant, like the very like performative coldness of killers in movies. To me, has always seemed very silly. Like these people just do this as a job; they're just gonna go home and watch TV and not give a shit, right? Right. Like I assume if you. I, I don't know anything about this world. Don't really want to. Um, but I assume, like, there's a lot of jobs that people do that are awful. You know, like, how do fucking bankers feel at the end of the day after they ruin people's lives? They watch they watch TV and don't think about it. Mm-hmm. I assume that is just true for all jobs of this kind of morality, whether they're legal or not. Yeah. Uh, and then, were you surprised by the level of gore in the in this movie? The eyeball scene in Brandon to Kill grossed me out a bit. The eyeball scene did great, but he's taken out the guy's eyeball. Uh, yeah, mm. yeah, that wasn't that wasn't great. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, I honestly didn't even think about it. It takes a lot for me to notice the gore in a movie. Watched a lot of slock schlocky movies in my life. Yep. Um. All right, and then we have one last question, Jackson. Uh, we do. Uh, this is from Alexander. Um. Let's uh, have a look at what this says. This says, Tokyo Drifter is amazing. I can't believe uh, that this movie just cuts. Like, the director and editor just cut to the next scene because it makes sense to do that. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of, like, really hard action happens, but before we see the, like, resolution, it just cuts to the next scene because you've seen one of these movies before. You know exactly where it goes. Um, what if movies were just good? I agree. Uh, also, Tetsu is great. I have a crush on him when he smiles. Uh, that's true. Uh, he's incredibly cool. You need to share with the class the fact about how that he was on set <laughs> oh yeah so they like uh nikatsu gave suzuki this guy to be his actor like we want to push this guy make him a lead so go make him a star and uh he was so not used to being in a movie that the assistant director was off screen poking him with a broom to get him <laughs> to say his lines on cue oh my gosh um He's also so effortlessly cool on the screen <laughs> also uh when they had him like do the song they had to just have him do it a line at a time and assemble it all in the edit because he couldn't sing the song to save his life <laughs> um, which is suzuki's like they wanted this guy to be a star i feel like it's a bad way to produce a record but what do i know i was just following my instructions <laughs> <laughs> i mean it worked out he is a star yes but that's very funny um uh and just like some some comments about the themes and the gender stuff i think we talked about our opinions on that um brand's kill also great editing is definitely choppier this time around that's one way to put it <laughs> Uh, Time and place are nonsense. Uh, just commenting that uh, Hanada is a shithead. He's being awful to people and like, you know. Yes. Uh, which is true. Correct. The hitman is problematic. Yeah. Um, overall, I'm interested in watching more Yakuza movies. Uh, and I guess do you have any recommendations for those? And what uh, do you? What works do you think most blatantly steal from this genre? <laughs> Well, I think we've shouted out some movies you can go check out. Definitely. Yep. I think so for sure. If you want more Yakuza movies, I'm not like an expert on that. Me um, neither. 
I um I definitely uh have enjoyed a couple like uh, there's like high and low and some of the um Kurosawa ones are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um you want a guy who hates Kurosawa. You listen to some interviews with Seijin Suzuki, who's just like Kurosawa and Ozu have oppressed Japanese cinema for a, a century. Uh, it's impossible to make movies under this uh, when you just want to be yourself and uh, create things. Um, what does he mean? Just by like the just the, sh- just, the shit. Like they cast the such style. a long shadow, and yeah. yeah, everyone's beholden to the things that they did, and they were operating under very specific like post-war realities and resources because they mm-hmm. were the main people that. Uh, like he constantly talks about like uh, rehearsals for Kurosawa who has money. That wasn't me. And then derided Ozu for having boring sets that actors couldn't find like fiction in. Cause he's like, I'm not going to shoot in someone's apartment. That's boring. That's not. <laughs> yes. That's incredible. Cause yeah, that's, I know, I know that's like, that was his whole thing, right? Yes. <laughs> Why would you shoot in an apartment? Put light this whole thing up red. Yes. Uh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, the budget of this film being so low is so obvious when you point it out, but I didn't really notice when we were watching it, all the butterflies and the sparse sets. Ugh, so good. I'd also, uh, in terms of uh, good Yakuza movies, uh, Takeshi Kitano's Hanabi from 97 is a really, really good movie. Um, I know that I think Sonatine's like the big one. I haven't seen that one, but I do like Hanabi a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm uh, uh, very underseeing this. I did this because I want to see some of these movies, and I want to see way more now. So yeah, yeah. I guess that's it. Unless anyone has anything else. Uh, no. Next time, what are we watching? Destiny, you picked this. Jackson, one of you. One of you. We, picked this. Uh, kind of we both, both picked this. We both picked this. Okay. What are we watching? <laughs> with with in jokes. <laughs> uh, we are watching the uh, movie Love and Basketball. Yeah, uh, from the year 2000, uh, directed by uh, Gina uh, Prince Blythewood. Uh, in America, you can get this on Netflix, so it's just there. Um, I'm excited to watch this. I don't know anything about it, other than I assume it's a romance about basketball. You would be correct. Yes. I think you've got it. I think you've nailed it. Uh, <laughs> In the UK, it is for rent on a bunch of things. It's cheapest on Chile. <laughs> we never heard of. <laughs> never heard of until today. Uh, but it's not like on anywhere for free, so you gotta you got to pick it up in summer. But it's only like £2.49 on Chile or £3.49 on iTunes or YouTube or all the other ones. Is that what is that what two ninety nine, dollars is these days? Oh, I guess so. Goodness. Uh, all right. Well, with that, uh, also that, uh, as I said earlier, this, that episode will be out on the sixth. We're taking another three week break. Uh, we'll watch the movies as we do. So hopefully we'll all have stuff to report back with, but until then, Jackson, you want to do some plugs? Yeah. Uh, you can find me at headfuls off on twitter.com and post a whole bunch of dumb tweets there. You can find the other podcasts that we have at abnormalmapping.com, uh, including abnormal mapping. It's a game club. We do that. Uh, I like it a lot. I'm trying to get back into swing of being positive about video games. A permanent state, I guess. Yep. Uh, um, I've started up doing the Amory score again, yep. which is at ineedmayo.com. Uh, that is a Coheed and Cambria podcast that people are excited to return. We're reading the book, Year of the Black Rainbow, so we've got like content to talk about. Uh, so please be excited for that. Uh, and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash abnormalmapping. 
Yeah, uh, most people, you know, $1 gets you the Great Gundam Project. That's our most popular show. We watch Gundam every week and talk about it. And we're watching Pat Labor currently, which is uh, wrapping up uh, the first OVA. And it's very good. We have three movies of Pat Labor to watch. Very excited to watch those. Um, Gundam started a little rocky this season, but it's uh, it's been a good time now that things have evened out a little bit. Um, if uh, you like this show, of course, tell your friends. That's really important. Word of mouth is the only way our podcast is successful. So if you like this show in particular, um, I know we have some people that only listen to this show, which is uh, you're the you're my favorite people in the world. Wait, for real? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure Casey only listens to this show. Um, nice. Uh, but um, uh, he might be listening to our G Gundam stuff. I know that uh, he's interested in G Gundam, and I apologize for that. Um, but uh, if you if you like uh, these shows, tell your friends. Maybe tell them, you know, this episode is really good. Whatever movie that was this episode that you thought was particularly good. Probably Mikey and Nikki. I feel like uh, Jackson's correct in that it's probably our best movie, best episode about the best movie. But I like all of our shows. And who's to say which is the best, actually? Um, Destiny, where can people find you online? At Fridge Buzz Now. Uh, pretty much everywhere. If you like The Relentless Picnic, I'm the mod of a Discord for it. So yeah. check that out. <laughs> um, and you can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. We have a Discord also. You can find the link at abnormalmapping.com. Come in and talk about some movies. Uh, it's it's mostly games and anime, so, you know, some movie talk would be great. We get some, but it's all about Star Wars right now, and honestly, I'm a little sick of it. Barf. <laughs> uh, be, by the time this... When this may, when this podcast drops, it will be at the highest peak. So can I only get back from here? I guess so. Next week is Star Wars week. Uh, oh, for some reason I thought this came out after the... No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Monday. Three days till Star Wars. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, until then, go see some Star Wars, I guess. But uh, you know what you shouldn't do when you go see Star Wars? Well, you should not expect to like them. 